The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. Listener, how can we lead anyone today to Christ? Without the law. Those of you who understand your scriptures fairly well, the law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. Now here's our problem, listeners. Your average indwelt believer who is sitting in their car listening to this podcast or you're using it as family worship or whatever the case may be, you're listening to this particular message on the conditions of grace and you've been an indwelt believer for a while but you're about to hear a preacher who is very strong and determined and is going to sound a little bit judgmental. Is going to sound a little bit condemning. I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to preach to the choir. You choir members should already be knowing how to sing. That's why you're in the choir. But see, I want to preach to the to the unpreached world. I want I want people who think they're saved and they're not saved. I want to preach to you. And we cannot lead people to Christ without the law. And if you are offended by your your pastor or your online preachers, or books that you may read because there's too much of an emphasis on the law and condemnation, I'm here to tell you, listen very carefully, listener. I want the unbeliever to feel condemned today. I want the unbeliever to feel judged today. I want the, uh, the unbeliever to feel the bottomless pit of hell. I want the unbeliever to smell the burning flesh of everlasting condemnation. I do not want them to escape what it means to be unsaved. If you have a problem with that, turn the podcast off. Because people need to understand without Jesus Christ, you are condemned. Do you understand that? Without Jesus Christ, you are condemned. You have a contract on your head, and that contract says you're going with your daddy to the pit of hell forever and ever and ever. You better believe grace has conditions. And if there's teachers, preachers, worship leaders that are listening right now that are using grace like it's some kind of external ointment, Shame on you. Grace is not an external activity. It is the life of Jesus Christ. As the law is the life of God the Father. He is the great judge. He is the great I am. And anyone who does not measure up to his character, the law, 
goes to hell. That means you, listener. If you are saved by some ointment because someone laid hands on you, you just got all mushied up into loving on Jesus and Jesus loving on you, you better ask yourself, are you truly indwelt by the life of Jesus? Because that's the only ticket you're going to be able to use in the end. When you stand before the living Jesus Christ and you say, wait, 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 wait a minute here. I preached in your name. I cast out demons. I did miracles in your name. They even called me a magi. And what's Jesus going to say to him? I never knew you. You don't like those terms? Well, you better get used to it. Because that's what's going to happen in millions and billions of people's lives on Judgment Day. I don't know you. The only ticket that gets you into hearing Christ say to you, Oh, my beloved bride, come, is when he looks at you, he sees the reflection of his own face. And that's done through the Holy Spirit. You're in forever and ever. That's 602-292-2982. I know there are hundreds of people fighting what I just said. I love the law. Jesus did not come to kill it, destroy it, or abolish it. He came to say, I'll meet the standards of my daddy. Then you just accept me into your mortal bodies. And then, I'll actually live out those standards. Not you. That is true salvation. Grace has a cost. We are on number 103 under identity for eternity. This is Conditions of Grace Part 4. Our subtitle today is Cheap Grace Forms Religions. Now, some of you have been in the grace movement so long and you're using terms like Christ came to abolish the law or whatever term you want to use and so you're not used to hearing the fact that grace does have conditions so I'm going to ask my local listeners what are some of the conditions of grace you have to have the indwelling life of Jesus Christ what about someone who says well Grace still applies to me. Not if they're an unbeliever. What happens to someone if they don't have grace? They're still living you can say it. They go to hell. That's H-E-L-L. If you don't have grace, you're going to hell. Please don't be embarrassed to say that. People need to know this. What has happened to us that we are afraid to share the gospel? Not the social gospel, which is grace, 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 until it turns into a religion. I'm talking about sin. Honey, you're going to hell if you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and life. Well, how do I do that? That's the old-fashioned, traditional way of leading someone to Christ. No, we want to love on them until they're sick, like we love on our children and spoil them to death until they grow up and say, I don't believe in God. Yeah, how'd that love do for you? How'd that excessive love win that child's heart? Love does not win. Rob Bell, listen carefully. 
Love does not win. Jesus does. And the fact is that Jesus does love. Because God is love. And the only kind of love that does win is God. So when you say, I love you to your wife, I love you, honey. Are you really saying, truly, honestly saying, honey, I got you. If you're not, you don't know what love is. To truly love someone, you want to give them God. Everything is evangelism. Everything. Everything in the Bible, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation, the last verse, is the gospel. Everything. There's no purpose for anything. Marriage, children, a community, nothing has any other reason for existing besides the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan knows this, so he has to develop a social gospel which means there's no condemnation. What did we just read in our video about condemnation? Not only was there a warning about condemnation, there are those who are mocked for condemnation. They sneak into the church and use this puff and fluff, and people are buying into it by line, hook, and sinker, and they don't understand the purpose of the law anymore. God. God is love. And that's why... A few weeks ago, I picked up that DVD that was out the checkout at a store Jane and I were at. It, was, it says, God, God's love wins. And I said, honey, do you think this DVD would sell if it said, God's law wins? No, they wouldn't sell a single copy. Huh? Yeah, I'd buy one. <laughs> 602-292-2982. This is a very difficult very difficult principle to understand if someone is snatched up by the grace movement. It is not difficult to understand if you're snatched up by the life of Christ. True grace. What is the difference between external grace and true grace? True grace is the person of Jesus Christ. External grace is reflections of his life. Okay, let's pretend for a moment that we were able to convert the entire world to external grace. What would it look like? Okay, so let's say that God, say you were unsaved, and God has been working for 40 plus years in your life to make you feel condemned, to make you feel judged, to make you feel like you're going to go to hell, which you are. He's worked your entire life to bring you to a point of what? Yeah, it's salvation, but brokenness and repentance. I am not God. I can't live this life. I can't do it. I'm going to hell without you. I'm, it's called repentance. Now, several of you, we're pretending now, are sitting on the council of Satan. What's the one thing you would want to take out of the grace movement, the age of grace, that would send people to hell faster than anything else? We don't want them to feel condemned, so they don't need to repent. That's it. We don't want them to feel condemned, or like they're going to hell, and that they're okay. There is no need for repentance if you feel like you're okay. 
But if you just raise your children, helping them think they're okay, they're good people, and they're, they're, they're great, and they're whatever. That's the setup for that. Because when they get to a certain age, they don't have conviction anymore. They don't feel the sting of the second death. They may feel the sting of the first death. That's just simply getting cancer, and, you know, you're going to die. and you, That's the first death. But they don't feel the sting of the second death. And that's when the Lord Jesus Christ looks into your eyes and goes, But young man, I don't know who you are. But I went to church. I listened to my pastor. I listened to my mommy and daddy. And he says, But I don't know you. Who are you? And why are you signing my name to your checks so you could be an achiever and a prosperous person? When you start treating Jesus like he's a prostitute, you're in real serious problems. And what I mean by that, some of you prosperity listeners, when you sign Jesus Christ's name to prosperity, you're one of those. You're one of those who are treating Jesus like he's a prostitute. You're using him. You're trying to make money off of him. Why did Jesus come through the temple and flip over a few tables? Because people were trying to make money on his daddy. Instead of selling out their life, they wanted to advance their life. That's the world we live in. There's no need for repentance today. None. Grace is certainly costly. Here's what our slide says. Grace is costly to man because it lays the axe at the root of all of his cherished possessions, his achievements, for it destroys his man-made religion. Now stay with me on this. Here's what forms religion. Achievement. When you are achieving things and you're finding pleasure in the achievement, you've just formed a religion. You've just formed an idol. But when you achieve something and you don't find pleasure in that achievement, but you find pleasure in the sake that God is using you in whatever this you had achievement in, you're doing all to the honor and glory of God. Self-achievement forms religions. For it is the replica of Christianity that religion acts in self-justification. How do you find out if someone is into a self-religion? It's very easy, and you can all use this technique in discipleship. You look at the person and you say, why did you do that? And it's obvious what you are confronting them with is horrifically wrong. But you just say, even though you know why they did it, you just say, why did you do that? And if they self-justify what they did instead of going into repentance, are you with me? Now take that into the world today. If they self-justify and want grace and love instead of repentance, it comes from childhood. It comes from the way you parents raise your children. Self-justification is the beginning, and Satan knows this rotten liar that you are, you know this, that self-justification starts a self-made religion in that young person's heart. In other words, they can't own their sin immediately. 
They cannot be faced with sin. They have to justify it. Which, by the way, is defending human interpretations of true Christianity rather than releasing Christ to form true indwelt Christianity in the believer. There's only one thing that can happen after this. You have to interpret God for what you think He says. You have to actually read the Scriptures. That's why I'm not impressed by people read their Bibles. I'm not. There's, there's just millions, if not billions, of people who've gotten good at reading the Bible. And they're going to hell. What I am impressed with is someone who has the Word of God living inside them. When they read the Word of God, their spirit bears witness with it, and it leads them to repentance. Now, that's a different story. That doesn't happen with this self-made Christian. Religion is the supreme form of taking the image of the living God. Listen carefully. Religion is the supreme form of taking the image of the living God, forming or maximizing all human potential, which becomes the working capital of sin. See, Satan knows this. So the satanic supreme council gets together and says, hmm, how about if we design an educational system that is set up on achievement, on performance? In fact, let's get them to the point where they can't pass their church unless they have a degree. That'd be awesome. Until they become the masters of interpreting God. You see, God doesn't need my interpretations. He is who He is, and He lives inside me, and the fact that He lives inside me, He can speak it, and it's done. Can you imagine if every preacher in the world lived like that? I am not God, and I'm not going to interpret Him. 602-292-2982 Modern man wants cheap grace. Grace which does not consider that it is a life. Rather, they boast that it is an external action like an ointment of loving on another. That is the leading definition of grace today. Loving someone unconditionally. Logically, think about this. Can you imagine an unbeliever who's a Christian, a Christ follower, Giving someone grace? Can't do it. But they believe they can. They are deceived. There's churches all over the world that use grace this way. They're giving them nothing. But it's working. That's the problem. It is actually working. People are actually listening to these these mushy meal ointment type of grace people talk about God's love like it's supposed to make them feel good. God's love's not meant to make me feel good. It's meant to bring me to repentance so that I may have relationship with love. God is love. Do you understand that? No, our, most of our listeners don't. I get it that I talk over the heads of a lot of people. But you need to take some time and pray about some of the scriptural things that you are hearing and listening to, whether it's from me or from someone else, because there's a new message that is older than Christ's blood that is hitting the world now. And it's true grace. 
this is going to spread like wildfire. Because God is not interested in using grace and the words of love to send people to hell. He is not interested. He's interested in people understanding the full gospel of Jesus Christ. External grace, cheap grace, refuses to deny oneself, take up the cross, and follow Christ from within. It needs control at all times of self, circumstances, and literally God himself. And that's why they have to interpret what God says. I'm going to get emails this week. And those emails are going to be filled with what the person believes God said by what he wrote. How this doesn't apply here, and how this is, that age is gone, and how this is, uh, and all this complicated stuff to the point of having that young preacher stand up and say, Christ abolished the law. Really. I'm not interested in debating you. You're already in the dark forest. You're trapped. You're trapped by the lies and deception of the very thing we're fighting against. Do you see how it happens? It just creeps in the church. And pretty soon, because everyone loves that person, the whole church forms around that person. It's, it's finished. The church is worthless. That church has no value. Because there's no sting of salvation in that church. It'll go emergent rather quickly. Romans 11.5 says this, In the same way then there has also come to be at the present time a remnant. What is a remnant? It's a little piece of fabric off of a large piece of fabric. We are a remnant. We are a tiny little group. All of you who are listening worldwide, who are true grace believers, we are a remnant. We're a tiny little group of people preaching the real truth because Jesus is the truth that sets us free. We are not preaching about what he has done. We are preaching his life. That's a remnant. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So, it is no longer on the basis of Christ's works. Otherwise, Christ's works is no longer valuable. That's what it's saying. Grace is possible because Jesus fulfilled the law. And now it is active. So what then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it. I'm not a, a Calvinist that runs around and tells Calvinism. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that Calvin himself was teaching and preaching that was absolute truth. If you just take a little bit of time and read and see how much God says, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. God is the one who made hearts stubborn. God marks certain people for condemnation that come into the church with a cheap grace to paralyze the entire church. God's the one that makes the choices because he's sovereign. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. 
Just like it is written. Who gave them a spirit of stupor? God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes to see not and ears to hear not. Down to this very day. You see, the older and wiser that I get in Christ Jesus, the more I'm realizing that certain people, I get them going from just asking questions, and I'm hunting to see if they're stupid. This word comes from stupid. And I'm listening very carefully to th- just to see if they can even be talked to. But if they're constantly doing their interpretation of what God said, I'm, I'm not going to go anywhere with them. That is the hardest thing for disciples to put their arms around. And that is, has God opened their mind or not? And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and the stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not. And what's being talked about here? Grace. That Jude passage is more revealing probably than most of us want to admit to. So I don't know about you guys, but you know, I asked the question of, why would God mark out certain people for a condemnation? Oh, well, why in the world would God mark Judas out to be of the devil? Why was Saul picked to be of a bad spirit? He knew beforehand who would accept and who would deny him. Exactly. He knows ultimately who's going to stand at judgment, and his son's going to look into their eyes and go, but I don't know you. He already knows that before they're born. Because God's foreknowledge. Does God want that person to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, become born again, and live for eternal life? Of course he does. But he already knows how they're going to choose it. It's offered to them. So he already knows who's marked out. Well, I'm afraid that is not going to preach in the church today. It won't. You even break this down and start using the terminology of God chose, God set him up as being dark mind, God, and people are lost. They know not what to do with that. And I don't blame them. Reckoning God's grace activity. Grace is the hardest thing for us to be reconciled to. Because it implies the renouncing of our pretensions, our power, our showiness, our circumstances. I want to ask you guys the question. Hopefully you look around every day and look at people's lives. How much of life would you say is built on a young person working to be a show-off? That's what it means. It is revealing one's chest. Not protecting it through the breastplate of righteousness. It's revealing it. I'm tough. I can handle this. Guys, I listen and I watch and I see how a lot of parents are training their children to be tough. To open their chests up and say, hit here. I can handle it. It's demonic. It's evil. And it is against what God is trying to do in that young person's life. 
God wants that young person to grow up going, I need a plate of righteousness. I don't need to reveal my chest. That's what Satan did to God. He took his wings and he opened his wings, oh, pinion, and revealed his chest to God. And God says, get out. I don't know you anymore. If you're using pride like it's some kind of mushy love word, you're in the dark forest already. Maybe just a foot off, but get your foot out of that dark forest because pride is revealing oneself and one's own accomplishments. You want to toughen up your kids? Teach them to be clothed in the armor of light. But if you train your kids up to take their armor, armor off to say, look at me, I'm a tough boy. Let's see how that works out in the end. When you're trying to take soft, sweet, tender hearts that God is working on and toughening them to be chest revealers. It is the opposite of everything our flesh-made religious beliefs are looking for. Grace reveals our fleshly pride of self-sufficiency as well as the pride of spiritual growth or progression. Nothing is more devastating to our flesh than grace. Do you believe that? If you somehow can mix your flesh in with grace, I'll say it again at 602-292-2982, if you have a cup of grace, external, and you pour someone's flesh into that, someone has been brought to a point in their life of confessing before Lord, that they have nothing, they have no sufficiency, they have, they're a nothing, they're going to hell, they're whatever. And you pour grace into that flesh, and you mix it up, what you get is universalism. And that is the religion of the Antichrist. Our human response to God's grace in faith through the life of the indwelling of Jesus will necessarily include us synchronizing, becoming one, synchronizing our minds with the mind of Christ. Recognizing that our flesh refuses to place our confidence in the life of Christ from within, but rather in ourselves and our abilities. In God's grace activity and His Son, we must recognize that we are imitative creatures. Isn't that what your kids do every day? I want to be like dad. Or they see dad doing something. And then all of a sudden you notice they're doing it. We are born to be imitators. By flesh. Stay with me on this. The indwelling life of Jesus Christ is absolutely against that. You are not to be like Christ. You are not to imitate Him. Those terms that are used and are even in some translations are not correct. You need to let Him do the living through you. Have full glory. Have full power. Have full release. But He uses your voice box and your gestures and your feet and your arms if you have them. He uses those things. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the life of Christ. That's the true gospel of grace. But see, there's not many ears that are listening right now. 
And I guess that's okay. But I hope your ears do get open before you get to the other side. And hear this from the living God. He is so incredibly focused on his formula. And his formula is the laws to lead you to Christ. You're to repent. You're to receive Christ's life. The Holy Spirit is to be placed in your mortal body. And then the life of Christ is to be lived out through your vessel. You are a vessel. You are a cup. You're not supposed to think on your own. You are a cup. And if you want your cup of the runneth overeth, let him fill you up with his life. And when that pours out onto another person, they're getting pure Jesus. Not Steve Jesus. Just pure Jesus. That's our goal. In God's grace activity in His Son, we must recognize that we are imitative creatures, people who replicate the actions of those we admire. But also, knowing as indwelt Christians, we are called to release and not replicate the life of Jesus in order to obtain the sufficiency of God's grace activity. You see, we're supposed to be Christians. Christ followers until we become indwelt. Let me show you how that works. Grace does not come in measurements. God's grace in Jesus Christ is not in parts. It always involves the full and complete expression of God. That's who Jesus is. His Father's expression. Never can we speak of a measure of grace or the life of Jesus could be measured out in certain quantities or qualities. And it's presented a lot of times that in the, the church today. And it's not given to us or dispensed to us like some kind of package or packages. The indwelt Christian does not receive a measure of Jesus at regeneration to be followed afterwards by a second work of grace. These are terms used in the grace movement. When God acts, he acts in the completeness of his own being. That's why I despise that song, More of Jesus. How much more can we get? It's calling God a liar. If you're a worship leader listening to this podcast, stop it. Stop singing songs about more of Jesus. You have all of Jesus if you're in the world. If you're not in dwelt, you're not even going to get a half an ounce of him. You're going to hell. You can't go past go or collect $200 unless you receive the living life of Jesus Christ. Then you will get 100% of who Jesus is, which means you will have 100% of grace. Now you can go grace someone. If you've been given discernment that they are not saved, you don't give them grace. You give them law. So it can become a tutor to lead them to grace, the life of Jesus. The full grace expression of God is to be seen in every facet of his activity in Jesus Christ. Grace is evidenced in incarnation, him becoming man, redemption, conversion, justification, sanctification, ministry, eschatology, and the list goes on and on. Indwell Christianity is entirely by grace. 
activity of God in the personhood of his son. If you are using grace like it is some word out of a dictionary or some ointment out of a tube, you have no clue what I'm talking about. No clue. You'll, you'll get up tomorrow morning and you'll get out your little salve container that says grace of God on it. And God has been working for 35 years in the person's life you're going to be talking to to bring them to condemnation, feeling judged, I'm going to hell. I'm one. He's been working their entire life for bringing them to the point of receiving true grace. And you take your little ointment and you rub it all over their life. God loves you. You know, grace has covered all your sins. And Really? What are you doing to them? You're putting oil on their cancer. They need healing from the inside out, and that happens through the life of Jesus. For all the indwelling, the prophets had prophesied that grace activity of God would come, 1 Peter 1.10. Such grace was realized in Jesus Christ, John 1.17. When grace was freely bestowed on us in the Beloved, Ephesians 1.6. The grace of God was given to us in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.4 When the grace of God appeared bringing salvation. Titus 2.11 This salvation was effected for man when by quote-unquote by the grace of God Christ tasted death for everyone. Hebrews 2.9 By the death of Jesus Christ the price of the death consequences for sin was paid. Divine justice was served and executed. Mankind was, quote-unquote, bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6.20, that they might be indwelt with the life of God in Christ Jesus. It's all about salvation. Not to make people feel good. How many people who have been loved on by Christians are going to hell? The lion's share, as they say. God is love. When you love on someone, you should be wanting to give them God. If that is not your intention and you're trying to make them feel good because they're going to hell, you are really messed up. If you're trying to make them feel good because they're going to hell, you're really messed up. 602-292-2982. You are messed up. There is something wrong with your thinking. Who that claims Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior wants to make someone feel good as they go to hell? Who does that? I'll tell you who does it, the majority of the church. You need to let God accomplish his work of the law to lead them to Christ. You're supposed to be available when they get there. Did you just get that? You're supposed to be Johnny on the spot, right there waiting. You're not to love them up to this point. You let God deal with them the way God deals with them. You're to be on the spot waiting for them and say, I can show you how to receive Jesus Christ. And then you'll get the love of God. 
God does not love people in hell. Do you understand that? It is not a part of his plan to love on people in hell for eternity. God's plan is to love the bride of Christ. God does not love Satan. God does not love the beast. God does not love the false prophet or anyone who follows them. He does not. 602-292-2982 He loves those who receive, who respond to Him. Love is conditional, whether you like it or not. And if you can show me some scriptures that God loves people in hell, I want to hear them. If you can show me some scriptures that God says love on people until they go to hell, I want to, I want to read them. We're never called to hate, ever called to hate, except for hate our own flesh. He who hates himself, what's the rest of the verse? Gains his life. You see, that's the only thing we're supposed to hate. So they should sense the love of God with us, not pointing our fingers saying, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. No, that is vindictive. It is saying, no, God's speaking to you. You're supposed to feel that way. You're supposed to feel condemned. You're supposed to feel that stuff. Why? Because I want to show you the cross. And it works. It seemed to work for all these years until about 10 years ago. And now it doesn't work anymore. Because universalism has consumed the grace movement. If you don't believe me, ask some of my friends. It's consumed it. Universalism has a gate. And it's called grace. Finally, our identity statement. In regeneration, the true grace of God enacts his divine life within the spirit of an individual upon response of Christ. Faith bestowed upon the believer. It is faith first given to us so that we can actually receive and believe. Christians are Christ followers. We've determined that in our study, right? They're Christ followers. They're not indwelt. Now, before you receive the indwelling life of Christ, you are a follower. You're drawn. You're like listening carefully and some people hang out with other Christians and they go to church for 30 years and they think they're an indwelt believer because they're a Christ follower. So when Satan got that separated out and got a nice big schism between the two, they no longer thought about the exchanged life or the indwelling life of Christ and all they think about is using the term Christian. Now a Mormon can say I'm a Christian, a Christian can say I'm a Christian, a Buddhist can say I'm a Christian, Satan can say he's a Christian, and no one reacts. The deaf ears, the dumb are now with us. People are not able to see the sting of salvation anymore. But there's a remnant. And that used to drive me crazy because I wanted, whenever I preached or other friends of mine preached or whatever, I just prayed they would not fall upon ears that have been closed. But the truth is, guys, 10% who are listening right now, even the people in this room, 10% of you are going to walk away 
touched by the living God from this message. And the rest of you are going to go back to your foolish doctrines. That is sad. But I'm afraid it's true. Because you're too comfortable with saying I love you to someone and you don't really love them. And that's what John's ministry is about. Oh, you say you love him, but you don't keep his commandments? That sounds a bit conditional to me. See, love's cheap. Oh, I love you, honey. Really? And so when you're going throughout your day tomorrow and you're saying I love you to someone or whatever, maybe you should ask yourself, did you just say to them, I got you? Nothing is more important for me to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to my family. But today, at 60 years of age, I know that only 10% of my family is going to hear me. And the rest are going to go back to their stupid doctrines of an interpreting God for him. Because those are statistics. In the end, very few, the remnant, will walk this path. And many will be on this broad pathway of love, love, love wins, grace, 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 grace. Meanwhile, people are going to hell by the hour. God, bring back evangelism. Bring back the evangelist. Bring back the true thinkers through the mind of Christ that they may hear the difference between this fake, universal, anti-Christ religion and true grace, which is the life of Jesus Christ. We are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. Acts 15.11 He saved us and called us with a holy calling according to His purpose and grace which was granted in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.9 As a result, we bear the identity of Jesus, which is the identity of his Father. Thus, we walk out the grace activity of God the Father. It's not an ointment. It's a life. I know without question there are some listeners who are sensing, I probably better get on my knees and repent. Some of you may be into wealth and you need to get on your knees and repent because you realize you've been preaching a fake gospel. And some of you may be in need of getting on your knees and repenting because you know that you have believed for a very long time that you are this Christian who's been doing miracles in his name, been preaching in his name, casting out demons in his name, but you're as lost as Judas. In fact, you took the money out of Judas's purse and you started using it to prosperity your own doctrine. Whatever the conviction is that God's got on your heart, for those of you who are close to your computers, there's a little PDF symbol next to the microphone. And if you open that PDF, you'll see a copy of these slides. And if you scroll down to the end of that PDF, you'll see this prayer. No words will lead you to Christ. This is just a sample of what, for example, I would pray if I was being led to Christ. 
Or you just may be given words from the Lord to just simply pray yourself. The point is, is today the day of your salvation? Have you been put in a position by the living God that he's knocking on your door to receive the indwelling life of Christ, whether you are a young person or you are old, lying on that bed moments from death? You need to ask the Lord, what are you saying to me today? Father, I want to thank you for the power and authority of Jesus' name. I want to thank you for the power and authority of his word. And Father, there's going to be much confusion the enemy brings to certain minds, particularly minds that are not used to thinking with your mind. So I pray that the fog would be lifted in the true indwell believers and that they would think twice about what kind of grace they're offering people around them. And I just ask the same thing for all of us, Father, in regard to when we say, I love you to someone. Are we really bold enough to give them you? Is that really our intention of saying, I love you to someone? May all of us be brought under conviction of using that powerful name of love. May we all be under conviction not to use it lightly. Thank you, Jesus, for the conversions that are going to take place. And thank you for the lives that are going to repent. And as hard as it is for me, Father, I thank you for the arrogant people who are going to go right back to where they came from. Father, you use all things for the good, and we acknowledge that right now in Jesus' name. And we bless you and you alone. And it is in the power and authority in all the names of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.